Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 26, Dealing with Loss and Grief. It's January 21st, 2021. I'm your host, Lisa Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, and podcaster. What I do is I help people be well-loved, happy, and healthy, even in very difficult times. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any way, and my music is by Howie Moskovich. Dealing with loss and grief. Well, we're not quite a year into a pandemic, but we're coming up on a year. And there's been all kinds of losses and grief for things that have happened, for things that have not happened. So it makes sense to me to dive in to help you deal with loss and grieving a loss. And I'm actually, even though this is a really tough subject, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's sad. I'm actually a little bit excited. Uh, And the reason I'm excited is because what I typically do before I do a blog post or, or do a podcast is, you know, just take a peek at the research to see, is there anything new? Is there anything that's changed in the last number of years? And I'm so glad that that's one of my habits or practices because there is some really new and very exciting research that I think you're going to find comfort in and will be helpful. So even though this is a a really sad and terrible subject, it's powerful because, you know, loss is part of life even without a pandemic. And being able to grieve, whether it's over the passing of a loved one or grieve the loss of, you know, something in your life, even if it's a you know, a shattered dream or a broken promise, it's extremely powerful. So what I'm going to cover today is I'm going to give you the historical kind of uh, paradigm or view of, of loss from the Death and Dying book and from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's teachings. She's most well known for that, but things have changed. So I'm also going to cover then the new research on what's called post-traumatic growth which again, I think you're going to find very exciting. I'm going to talk about the top obstacles for why people avoid dealing with loss or grief or grieving, some of the negative impacts of not dealing with or avoiding loss and grief, Uh, some steps to take to start dealing with loss and grief, a couple takeaways and a call to action. So I usually start my podcast with a shameless plug to visit my website where you can win cool prizes. I mean, who doesn't like free stuff? That's going on through July 2021. And the other thing that I always say is it's very important for you to understand that I'm not a medical professional in any way. I'm not a therapist in any way. And nothing that I'm saying in my podcast or my blog posts, or my YouTube videos are intended to be medical or therapy advice because you want to get that from a licensed healthcare professional. 
If you are suicidal, if you happen to be suicidal or you've been thinking of harming yourself, instead of continuing to listen to this podcast, I'm asking you to stop and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. I'm asking you to stop what you're doing and get in action. I'm not above begging you. I've begged people for things in the past, including God. So I'm, I'm asking you and I'm begging you to take some action and get the help that you need because there is plenty of help and there's no should be no shame or embarrassment. So the long-standing um, way that grieving a loss or bereavement or death has been looked at over the last 40 years or more, I don't know how many more, but that was originally, well, the credit is given to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote a book on death and dying. And, and according to the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross platform or framework. There are five stages. The first stage is denial. This can't be happening. It's a refusal to accept the fake, the fact that a loss has occurred. And that's just a natural phenomenon. Number two, the second step is anger, which kind of is like, why is this happening to me? People can be either angry at themselves or angry at someone else. And they might argue that it's unfair and they may blame others. The third step or phase is bargaining. And that kind of is covered by the phrase, I will do anything to change this, where you're trying to bargain for a different outcome. You're either trying to change or delay the loss. And that could come in the form of convincing a partner to return after a breakup or searching for unlikely cures in a terminal illness. The fourth step is depression. And that would be covered in the phrase, what's the point of going on after this? Or I can't go on after this. After this, And depression isn't a bad thing because it's kind of the beginning of recognition that there's a loss. And that's, that's a precursor to acceptance. So depression in the grief process is not a bad thing. And the fifth stage is acceptance, where you're kind of thinking, you know, I'm going to be okay or it's going to be okay. And that signals the acceptance of the loss and that the situation is now logically sorted out in their mind and they hopefully have come to terms with the emotions in the situation. So over the last 40 plus years, this has kind of been the model that we have used when talking about uh, either death and dying or a significant life challenge. That's the the phrase they like to use, a major life challenge. And I think that's important because I'm going to now talk about this new research that I'm excited about because it offers like to me, it's like a glimmer of hope and some good stuff out of bad stuff because dealing with a loss or a death or, you know, a major life challenge is, is never any fun. Like nobody likes that. But it is a part of life. So according to uh, a research article I found that's titled Positive Outcomes Following Bereavement, Paths to Post-Traumatic Growth. And that's a 2010 article. It's by Lawrence Calhoun et al., meaning I'm not listing all the other people that are authors to the study or the article. And he and his team are from the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, USA. Now, this term, post-traumatic growth, 
just really caught my attention. And it caught my attention because, A, I've never heard anybody use that phrase before. And B, I don't think it's common vernacular. I don't think it's commonly used. I now want to call up all my therapist friends or anybody I know in the therapy world and say, okay, what do you know about post-traumatic growth? Because here's the thing about research. It takes eons for research that we know about, medical research or psychology research or what have you, to actually come into practice in everyday life. That's just kind of the way it's been. That's my opinion about it. So anyway, so here's the, the thing uh, how post-traumatic growth is defined. It's defined as positive changes experienced as a result of the struggle with major life crises. So it's positive changes experienced as the result of major life crises. So here's the five areas of growth that this study talks about. Number one, now this is like, so you're basically, if you're dealing with a major life challenge, oh, a pandemic would fall under that. Oh, if you've lost your job and, you know, your finances are a wreck and have tanked, you know, you're, you're in the throes of major life challenges. So here are the five areas of this post-traumatic growth because, you know, there's this is the silver lining to the bad stuff. You know, you don't have to be down in the face about it forever because I'm going to give you some good news here. So here from the research are five different areas of growth. Number one, changes in self-concept. So the phrase listed in the study was, quote, more vulnerable yet stronger, end quote. So more vulnerable yet stronger, more self-confident. So this is a byproduct if you're going to take loss or a major life challenge or death or something, and you're going to get some positive bennies from it. It's a change. Number one is a change in self-concept. Number two, according to the research, changes in relationships with other people. So obviously we know sometimes <clears throat> life challenges involve you know, negatively having a negative impact on relationships. But according to the research, having facing a, ma a major life challenge can also increase a sense of closeness with other people, and it can bring in a greater compassion towards people in general, but in particular, <clears throat> people who have who are in pain or have been in pain. Number three. This is known to open up new possibilities. Now, the new possibilities opening up out of whatever life challenge can include new relationships. So new possibilities is the third area of growth. Number four, appreciation of life. So what the research indicates is that when people are going through the struggle of dealing with a major life challenge or loss or grieving, that it can cause them to start living life more vividly. So they're going to really start taking on life, sometimes because they know, well, you never know when it's going to not go the way you want. Number five is, is uh, called existential elements. And that what that means is it's the spiritual and religious elements. And what they found in the research is that the way people view themselves and their existence as mortal human beings 
and their connection to something transcendent sometimes or frequently changes in the, in the growth process. So for many people coping with loss, uh, this can provide a context for significant positive changes. So while loss or major life challenge is painful, it can cause this post-traumatic growth. Now, notably, um, it's, it's not just limited to people who have lost a loved one. This is for people who are dealing with a significant life challenge or loss. What's interesting from the research, I'm just going to highlight a couple of other points because I know most people I know are not going to go look for that 2010 study and look it up and read it. And quite frankly, I, I think if you listen to this podcast, you'll get enough of the high points. So the next, one of the other interesting things from the research is that Having a sense of religion and spirit, spirituality provides a framework for promoting growth through increased sense of meaning and purpose. And spirituality, interestingly enough, was one of the top three indicators of post-traumatic growth. Now, resilient individuals or individuals with high resilience those people are going to experience distress when there's a major life challenge or a loss or a death like anyone else. However, what the research shows is that they're going to recover with little need for grief work, which underscores the significance and importance of having the resilience components in life. So here's another interesting part of the research. And they have actually a very fascinating um, diagram of, of how the emotions flow and, and the whole process, which was quite interesting. Um, but they part of this whole post-traumatic growth involves how much of a challenge there has been to your assumptions about the world. Because frequently when there's a major life challenge or a death or a loss, your view of the world can change or be challenged or be trashed or what have you. So when an event challenges, challenges the existing world beliefs, then the individual must deal with not only the distressing re distress resulting from the death, the loss, the challenge, but the guiding principles about the, how the world is assumed to work, and they may need to reassess, and this can add to the distress, although it sets the stage for growth. So I think one of the important takeaways from the research, besides the fact that there are some very, very, very strong positives in the post-traumatic growth, is that when something challenges your view of the world, then that is going to be, you know, a greater psychological hurdle to overcome because you're going to have to kind of reassess your worldview. And sometimes we see this when um, when some deaths or losses are have a greater psychological challenge. So, for example, losing a child for a parent is much more psychologically challenging than, say, someone who passes away from a natural death at an old age. I mean, they're just two different things, and they, and they cause much more of a challenge than uh, one than the other. 
So I want to give you a couple definitions from this research that I, I know. I just love research. My friends and I used to joke about how the fact that, like, if something comes up and I don't know about it, oh, I'm going to go research it or, you know, I, I'm, it's, a, it's kind of like an inside joke that you guys now know. I, I love research. I mean, I don't do it unless there's like a point to it. I'm not just sitting around researching things for nothing. Anyway, so here's some definitions from the research that is, I think are going to be very, very powerful for you. Otherwise, I wouldn't include them. So one is the term rumination. Rumination is defined as a deep or considered thought about something. So rumination, you know, we know the word ruminating. Well, they're just ruminating over this or that. Rumination, however, can be constructive or it can be unconstructive. When we talk about unconstructive rumination, that's pretty much continued negative thoughts. On the other hand, constructive rumination are thoughts that help you move forward to either solving a problem or finding meaning. So we've got so far rumination and constructive or unconstructive rumination. Now we're going to add on intrusive ruminations. Intrusive ruminations are the types of thoughts that are less controlled by the person and are almost always unwanted. And they are, by the way, also associated with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. And why I'm bringing this up will be much clearer later on, but I want to give you the lay of the land because intrusive ruminations are not good. They're not helpful. Now, there's a different type of rumination, which they called in the research reflective or deliberate ruminations, and that's a much more focused and deliberate where your thoughts are focused on understanding the challenge and rebuilding a functional worldview. So they're much more purposeful, the thoughts. Deliberate uh, ruminations, by the way, are more strongly predictive of the eventual post-traumatic growth. So the important thing, one of the important things, is the degree to which our view of the world has been challenged by whatever happened. And we're in a pandemic, and... You know, there's been lots of challenges to some people's worldviews. And so that kind of layers on or adds on to the impact of the grief or the loss or the world challenge. Now, post-traumatic growth develops out of your attempt for new understandings of a world that no longer fits your idea about you or your idea about how other people behave or what your future will be. So it's not the loss that's good. What's good is the good that comes out of the struggle. Why this was probably so exciting to me, to be honest, is because I have a podcast that I did in December, I think, on using emotional pain to your advantage, which is really what this post-traumatic growth is really talking about. But I'm, I talk about it in a little different way. I don't talk about rumination and deliberate and, and intrusive, but I definitely 
talk about how you can use emotional pain to your advantage and to grow and develop. So you might want to listen to that podcast because that is definitely going to support your opening up your your concepts and your ideas about how emotional pain can be helpful. I mean, like if you're in emotional pain, like you're dealing with a loss or death or a major life challenge, it is just painful. It is painful. There's like nothing you can say except it's painful. But when you can get benefits out of it, I think it makes it a little, you know, kind of takes the edge off a little bit. All right, so now I'm going to talk about the top obstacles to dealing with grief or loss. And I think this is important because many times we're stopped from taking an action or doing something that we may, we may really, really want to do, but we don't know why we're not doing it. We don't know what's in the way. And I really want you to begin to build your skills and your muscles in the area of dealing with loss and grief because it's powerful. Not only is it powerful, the negative impacts of not doing it are very bad, which I'll talk about in a minute. But So these are just these are not all the reasons or not all the obstacles of why people avoid dealing with loss or grief or why they don't grieve. These are just the top reasons. So number one, people lack emotional intelligence. Now I have a podcast called Emotions as a Superpower, which I'm a fan of. I will take that, you know, take that to the bank. But one of the reasons people avoid dealing with loss or grieving is because they don't have the skills. They don't know how. And several of my podcasts, so there's the one on emotions as a superpower, then there's another one on harnessing your emotions. Actually, probably all of my podcasts will help you with emotions because like part of life is like it's a big part of life. So it's and it's very common. Like I don't want you to be listening to this podcast thinking, oh, something else for me to do. No, you could have this be fun. You could have this be like like, you know, God has opened up a door for you and a pathway for you that is going to change your life for the better. So what's con- common or this is very common, but what's called for? If, if your lack of emotions or your emotional abilities is what's stopping you, what's called for is to grow your emotions as a superpower. Number two, another reason people avoid dealing with loss or grief is because they use either emotional reasoning or irrational thinking or some other subset of what would be considered a mental health issue. Now, if you haven't listened to my other podcasts, I do mention emotional reasoning in a couple of them. And I mention it because it's so common. Like, it's so common. I'm kind of just riveted by that. And I'm not happy about that. But, But so when I talk about emotional reasoners, these are people who think that they're really good with their emotions. And they'll tell you, oh, yeah, I'm really emotional. I'm really good with my emotions. But what they fail to recognize is they're not good at at the whole emotional process. They've actually slid into what's called a cognitive dysfunction, excuse me, cognitive distortion. And they are using their emotions as facts. So they're they're not being logical or rational because emotions aren't facts. They're your feelings. So they can't distinguish between a fact and their feeling. So when they say, well, 
you know, well, I don't like Mary. Well, why don't you like Mary? Well, she's blah, 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 you know, with their emotions. And you say, well, what are the facts to back up that you say Mary, blah, blah, blah? Well, they can't give you any facts because they're an emotional reasoner. So it's a real, it's really tough to have, you know, intelligent, groundbreaking conversations with people who are emotional reasoners because they're not, it's a cognitive distortion. So there are several mental health things other than emotional reasoning, which would prevent someone from really digging down and dealing with loss or, or grieving. So what is called for is number one, self-awareness. Self-awareness is the first component of emotional intelligence. So all of my podcasts will probably help you with that, but you have to become self-aware to actually recognize, oh, I'm an emotional reasoner. Like I talked about in my anger podcast that I didn't know. I I didn't know I had zero anger skills until 2006. And then it was like, oh, oh wow, how about that? And I got to work on it. Like, I don't like, so what? I'm not trying to be perfect in life. So a third reason or obstacle why people avoid dealing with loss or grief is because they weren't that highly functional in life prior to the event or the life challenge, or the death, or what have you. So we live in a world, actually, where people are not highly functional. They're going through life, and they're, you know, they're doing okay, they look good on the surface, but they're not highly functional, because when something really bad, a major life challenge hits, they can't function. When you're highly functional, and there's a scale, the, the GAF scale, that measures that when you're highly functional in life, you can get hit with something pretty hard and you're still, you know, you're still capable of, of dealing with it. It doesn't take you out of the game of life. Uh, but for people who weren't that functional before the loss or the major life challenge, it's like they hit a brick, brick wall. They just hit a brick wall. So what is needed is building resilience building skills and habits, growing your emotions, self-care, and self-compassion. The next reason that people avoid dealing with loss and grief is because they've never had a role model, so they don't even know that there's a process to grieving or that they should maybe even be sad. And in, in the United States, we have 70 to 96% of Americans have grown up in a somewhat dysfunctional family. I mean, there's different levels of dysfunction, clearly. But if you're growing up in a dysfunctional family, then clearly something was off. And, and very likely it was that one or both parents or caregivers didn't have you know, emotional intelligence and boundaries and, and lots of other things. So what is needed is growing your emotional abilities and looking for the support on the journey because you're going to need to be supported. Number five, the next reason that people will avoid emotional loss or loss or dealing with grief is because they've encountered what's called emotional overload or emotional shutdown. And that can be because A, they simply have very low emotional abilities or low emotional intelligence, or it could be because 
They've had one or more traumas in the past that they have not dealt with. And then it just kind of like overflows or, you know, causes them to shut down. Like the, it's like the too much, you know, too many, too many appliances on the circuit. So the circuit blows. So what is needed is growing your emotional abilities and start building skills and habits to help you be more functional in life. And of course, what would be really phenomenal would be healing along the way. And the next reason is lack of support. This, sadly, tragically, I mean, I could cry, is uber common. It is so common, I'm just, it just breaks my heart, to be honest. So what I mean by that is many, if not most, people either don't have enough friends or they don't have enough good friends. Because we've all had friends that we finally woke up one day and went, hmm, you know, they're really not that nice to me. I don't know why I'm spending time with them. Or, hmm, they're taking a little too much pleasure and things not working out for me or what have you. And, and so it's very common. And the other issue is sometimes as you start to take on your life and grow and develop and gain new skills, habits, attitudes, beliefs, practices, etc., what you'll notice is some of the people in your life probably really aren't the people who should be supporting you because they will either dismiss your feelings or they will demean your feelings. And that could look like them saying, oh, just tough it up or, oh, just get over it or, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Mm. These are the clues that somebody has low emotional intelligence or low emotional abilities or no emotional abilities because you are entitled to feel how you feel. There's no right or wrong to how you feel. So if someone's telling you, oh, you shouldn't feel that way, ding, 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 that's not okay. That's not true. You can feel however you feel. So what you need is you need more friends or you need better friends and people in your life who have emotional intelligence who aren't going to be dismissing, demeaning, diminishing, or blowing off your feelings. Another reason, number seven, that people will avoid grief and loss is because they are either unwilling to grow and change or they are too attached to being the victim or playing the martyr. Now, I'm not sure how common this is, but we all, I think, know at least one person who digs their heels in, is unwilling to consider options or possibilities. They're the person with the problem and every suggestion or every possible solution. They're the ones who quickly say, oh, no, that won't work. Oh, no, I didn't. that wouldn't work. Oh, I tried that. Oh, yeah, you know, like very negative very close-minded and some of these people it's because they're more comfortable with negativity or they thrive on negativity i mean they might say oh yeah i don't like it that i'm this way but they're attached to being that way or being the martyr that they also typically they lack the components of resilience and they have low emotional ability so what is called for is they need the resolve the courage the bravery to say, yeah, my life isn't working and something needs to change or I'm stuck and I need to change. You know, you have to have the willingness 
to, to, and the bravery and the courage. I mean, listen, all this stuff takes a tiny little bit of courage and bravery, but not that much. Uh, so that's what's called for. Now, the last reason why some people will avoid loss and grief is because they don't know how to be happy or they've had a life with just too many hardships. And sadly, there are people who have had tremendous hardships in their life without the skills, abilities, habits, and practices to help them get through it. So they just really don't know how to be happy. They don't, they don't know what to do. They just kind of slog through the hardship, barely making it. They haven't had enough of what I would call the good stuff in life. So what they need is a new outlook in life. They need strong supports, new skills and abilities, starting with emotional abilities. So those are the primary or the top eight reasons why people will avoid dealing with a loss or grieving a loss or a loss or major life challenge. But I want to just briefly, very briefly touch on the neg negative impacts if you're going to gloss over loss or gloss over, you know, grieving because it's very significant. Now, I'm not going to talk about it in detail because I've talked about it in a lot of other podcasts and giving you a list of 30 negative health impacts and 25 negative. I'm not going to do that here. I'm just going to give you a couple. So if you're going to pretend that you don't have a loss and you're, or you're going to just not grieve, the number one of the number one things you should know is it is extremely bad for your physical health. If you listen to my other podcast, you'll get a very strong sense of that. Number two, it doesn't end your suffering. Your suffering is still going on. Like pretending it's not there doesn't work. Doesn't really doesn't work. Number three, it builds up negative emotions in your subconscious and unconscious mind. So this is what you need to understand. If you have an emotion, you could be angry about something, or in this case, we're talking about grief and loss. You could be sad because someone passed away, or you could be, you know, grieving the loss of your job or money or, you know, so many things in, in the, this period of time in the pandemic. If you just don't deal with your feelings, they don't magically go away. I hate to break it to you. They're not going to float away in the air. They're not going to just disappear. Now, you might think that they've disappeared because you're not feeling them, but what happens is when you don't deal with your emotions, that the negative emotions, they get pushed into your unconscious and subconscious mind where they're kind of like laying in wait for you. They're just like waiting. And then if you just keep piling on and adding stuff to that, it's like, you know, the Hoover Dam that's just going to burst and explode. Like this is really a very, very bad thing for your mental health because it can lead you down a path of mental illness. So it's, this is critical that you don't just skip over this. And I have some analogies because I do like analogies. So, you know, my analogy about emotions is they are like your superpower if you know how to use them, which my other podcast will help you with. So emotions are your superpower. It's just that, you know, a huge percentage of Americans and people in the world don't know how to use them. We just, we don't, we're not skilled. So not knowing how to use your emotions as a superpower is like, ready? It's like having a car with no engine or no tires. 
Yeah, it's like having a car, but you don't have an engine or you don't have tires. Or it's like going on a trip with no GPS, no map, no directions, and no way of figuring out how to get to your destination. Or it's like constantly being annoyed and upset with other people and not knowing why or that there's a whole other way to live. So if you're not dealing with loss or your, your emotions on loss and grief or major life challenge, I'm here to tell you it is absolutely causing you problems. You just don't know about it. You're just not aware of it. So hopefully that's going to give you a little impetus, a little motivation to start managing, processing, and dealing with the emotions that are associated with loss and grief and grieving a loss. So now I'm going to give you a couple steps. Well, actually, <laughs> like 14 steps to uh, start dealing with loss and grief. A lot of these I've done podcasts on, so I'm not going to get into great detail because I have a whole podcast on it. So number one, like anything, to really get going, you've got to name it, claim it, and own it and, and not be embarrassed about it. Like you can be embarrassed or ashamed about anything you want to be. Seriously, you can. But I'm rarely ashamed or embarrassed because I'm doing the best job I can in life. And I know what I'm up to and I know what I'm doing and I know who I am. So why am I going to be ashamed or embarrassed about that? I don't know. But I'm just saying, own it. Claim it. I'm not good at dealing with loss or grieving. Name that. Claim it. And then say, oh, yeah, and I'm going to get good at it. Why not? I don't know. You can do what you want. The second step is to identify your feelings. Now, my other podcasts on emotions, I walk you through the steps of how to grow your emotional vocabulary. So really, in part of this process of learning how to start dealing with grief and loss, you want to start using vocabulary words because there's like, there's like I don't know, 100, 100 plus I don't know how many words just that would fit grief and loss and, and sadness. But pinpoint your emotions and start using appropriate words. Then number three, feel your feelings. And I say feel your feelings, and I mean allow your feelings in a functional way. Now, an unfunctional way would be to, sat, be, to be sad, morose, unfunctional, laying in a, in a ball in the corner, crying forever and ever. Okay, that's not functional. That's not helpful. It's helpful to feel your feelings and in a reasonable way. And so my other podcast will help you with feeling your feelings. The fourth step is to process your feelings. So again, my other podcast on emotions will actually walk you through the detailed process of processing your emotions because it takes time. It's not an overnight thing. And I happen to be, by the way, a slow processor of my emotions. So I don't know if there are any fast emotional processors, but if there are, good for you. But I am definitely not one of them. The fifth step, so listen to this other podcast to help you start to understand what does the process look like? Like, what does that mean? And those podcasts will help you. Number five, self-care and self-compassion. And the people I work with in life coaching or just, you know, in life, Self-care and self-compassion is not optional. You want to be resilient in life. You want to be highly functional. And you want to be happy. 
And you want to be well-loved. Well, self-care and self-compassion are critical. They're just, it's just, there's no option to it. However, given everything that we know about humanity and in America, the obesity rate, the drug addiction, all the problems we have, we know people are not taking care of themselves and they're not being kind to themselves. So that's got to go on your list. Number six, grow your emotions as a superpower. Oh, listen, I mean, you, most, a lot of people, I don't know if most people, but I, I know a lot of people who like the superhero movies. I like the superhero movies. Well, probably because I have three kids, and, you know, I've been watching them for a long time, but you know, emotions, just remember when Spider-Man's learning that he has webbing and then how does he get the webbing out of his hands? Like you could really take on having emotions be your superpower and enjoy the ride. Like this doesn't have to be, don't make this be painful. Life is already painful. Make it be fun. So grow your emotions as a superpower. Number seven, commit to using emotional pain to your advantage. I already mentioned, I have a podcast on that. Why would you not want to get some value out of pain? I don't know. I can't actually understand that, but it's your choice. So if you want to use emotional pain to your advantage, I have a podcast about that, but I highly recommend it, and it's step number seven. Number eight, if you happen to be the kind of person where you're having continuing intrusive ruminations, remember how we talked about that earlier, what intrusive ruminations are, those are those negative thoughts that keep, you know, unwanted negative thoughts that keep going around and around in your head, and they're not helping you to solve the problem or find a meaning. If you are experiencing intrusive ruminations, then you need to start employing a tactic I call flipping the switch on your emotions. Now, I've talked about that in greater detail in my other podcasts on your emotions, but do not leave this podcast thinking if you have intrusive ruminations that there's nothing you can do about it because it's not true. I even have a short video on my YouTube channel called flipping the switch on your emotions would take you which would take you not even five minutes to watch because you can take intentional and deliberate actions to change what you're thinking. You can do affirmations. There are many things you can do to get control of what's going on in your mind. Number nine, make friends or more friends or better friends. Now, I know making friends isn't easy. I mean, I am ex ex extremely aware. I'm intimately aware. I just happen, it happens to be one of my skill sets, though. So I have a podcast about making friends. I have a blog post about making friends. And I have a whole section of videos on my YouTube channel. I like those videos, by the way. I mean, it tells you things to do and things not to do, the big no-nos for making friends and the big yeses. But make more friends and don't be ashamed about that. Don't be embarrassed about that. It's so common. I mean, it does make me sad that it's so common and we're not talking about this because it's just... It's kind of like ridiculous, but it is what it is. So I've got lots of materials to support you, but you want to be making friends, more friends, or better friends if that applies. Now, if you're one of those people and you've got plenty of good friends and they're good friends and they're always nice to you and all that good stuff, you reach around and pat yourself on the back and I'm proud of you and I'm very happy for you, but that's not most people listening to this podcast. Number 10. 
Talk about how you are feeling with trusted confidants or family or friends. Now, I already mentioned earlier in the podcast that you want to start becoming self-aware and paying attention when you're talking about how you feel and your thoughts and what have you. If someone's saying, oh, get over it, mm, sign that they don't have good emotional abilities or high emotional intelligence, Mm, sign probably not somebody that you want to be confiding in or talking to because they're not supporting your feelings. And especially if they say, oh, you shouldn't feel that way, that's not good. So talk about how you're feeling and in the process kind of figure out who are the people, you know, you should be or could be talking to that you get a good positive result from. And, you know, if you grew up in a family where there was very low emotional intelligence, by the way, highly predictable in America, like it's almost a given, then you might not be talking to family because they probably have low emotional intelligence. So you're going to have to really look for people who have high emotional intelligence. And, you know, hint, 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 all of my blog posts, which are free to read, talk about emotional intelligence will help you get there as well as all my podcasts and YouTube videos. Number 11, start making a goal, a life plan, a vision, a purpose, make a bucket list, do something. Why? Because you're going to feel better. Part of dealing with loss and grieving is it's a process that takes time. And you don't want to just be sitting on the couch doing nothing because that's not going to be helpful. It's not going to make you feel better. It's not going to make the grief be processed any faster. So you might as well do the things that make you feel better. And I'm telling you, well, I have a whole podcast about depression and anxiety, and I'm very sensitive to that. So that podcast will help you. But what I know from a lifetime of hardship and working with people for a very long time is that when people set goals and start to take action to fulfill the goals, they feel completely different. So you want to be doing the things while you're going through the process of grieving a loss or dealing with, you know, a major life challenge that are going to help you not shoot yourself in the foot. So be up to something. By the way, people also love it when people are up to something. I realize that lots of people aren't or they will keep their what they're up to private, but it's a very, you know, engaging trait. And the only people who don't like it are people probably have really low emotional intelligence. So get get up to something. Do something. All right, next, build your gratitude muscles. Well, I have a whole podcast about the miracles and, and wonderful things about gratitude. So there you go. You can listen to that. But this is a way of life where when you really have very strong gratitude muscles, it's just part of who you are. Like you don't have to work to be grateful when you've incorporated that into the to who you are as a person. And I highly recommend that. So you can listen to that podcast. Next, set up a reward system. Why? Because, you know, it's hard to change habits. I mean, there's books written about how hard it is to change a habit and how many days it takes and whatnot. So I have a whole podcast about motivation where I talk about a personal reward system. And so you want to get supported. You want to bring good things into your life while you're dealing with a loss and you're processing your feelings and all that good stuff. So 
have a reward system. Next up, get therapy if you need to. There should be no shame or embarrassment in getting psychotherapy. If you need it, if, if you need it, you need it. I mean, the reality is, from what I've read in the research, <laughs> uh, I know I'm laughing about the research because my friends and I always like laugh about it. But from the research, like the people who have the worst mental health, like the worst mental health, will like run away from therapy. So if you're healthy enough that you are willing to go to therapy, that's actually a very good sign because all therapy really is is an examination of how you live life and is your map of reality a true map. And if it's not a true map, trust me, they you know, good therapists can help you. So last thing I would have, because of course I've hopefully made the point that, you know, according to the research, if you're really up against it because of the pandemic or you're really up against it as a result of the things that have happened because of the pandemic, or you're just really in a bad spot even prior to the pandemic, which by the way, was, was millions of people in case you didn't know. There were millions and millions of people in America and in the world who were not doing well before the pandemic hit. So hopefully your, your big takeaway from this podcast is that there's light at the end of the tunnel. You can take all of this pain and you can grow from it. So here's your takeaways. So grief and loss are part of life even prior to a pandemic. And when the pandemic is over at some point, Grief and loss, you know, like there's just always going to be loss and some grieving. So learning how to deal with grief and loss is going to help you be happier. It's going to help you be healthier. It is going to contribute to your resilience quotient or factor. And the last takeaway is you can absolutely grow the skills and abilities to learn to deal with grief and loss. Even if you're new to this, even if you've had a life of hardship, even if you're really old like me or, or even older. And so for my call to action, I'm, t I'm asking that you stop and recognize, just recognize that growth and development is the access to a happy and healthy life. There's like a recognition and when the light bulb goes on, you're going to be like, oh, and so my next call to action is to get yourself a plan for growing and developing because you want that happiness. You want to be healthy. You want to be thriving no matter what happens down the road. And my third call to action is you grab a friend or make a new friend or grab a group of people and start this journey together because it's going to be so much more fun. And lastly, my request and call to action is that you share this podcast on social media because people are suffering. They need help. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. So help them. Thanks a bunch. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life podcast, episode number 26, Dealing with Loss and Grief. Hopefully, you're going to take some actions that I've covered and utilize the newest research so that loss and grief can lead you to post-traumatic growth and the good stuff. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe so you get the latest ones as they come out. 
and connect with me on my website to enter my giveaway for cool prizes or my new book. I love you. I want you to have a happy, healthy life. Please let me know how I can help you. Take care. Bye for now.